Welcome back to Just Food. It is your host, Victoria Ginsburg, kicking it off with the second episode. Last episode of Just Food, we learned a lot about globalized food and local food. We looked at what it means to support these food systems and the community impact that local food has. We looked at what is good food, what is bad food. We talked a lot about avocados, which, disclaimer, will happen again. The guests brought them up. Anyways, on this episode, we're going to continue to dive deeper into the significance of supporting your local food system by bringing your attention to the immense thought and meaning a small food truck can have. This episode, we're going to take a closer look at a staple of Eugene, Oregon community, a bright yellow food truck called Yardy Eugene. Yardy Eugene is a real working example of a local food business that is walking the walk of sustainability, using slow food techniques, and all while being a celebration of black food. Today, join me in learning about Yardy Eugene, a West Indian-inspired food cart in Eugene, Oregon, and its wonderful owner, Isaiah Martinez. If you had the question, what are the West Indies, here's a little explainer. Very basic. We'll get more into the culture and the food in a little bit. The West Indies is a subregion of North America, surrounded by the North Atlantic Ocean and the Caribbean Sea. The West Indies include the islands of Cuba, Puerto Rico, Barbados, Grenada, Trinidad and Tobago, among many others. The list really does go on. Let's get into it. In his career as a chef, Isaiah has worked for many restaurants and has learned to cook many cuisines. But when he opened up his own business, it was important for him to cook what he was familiar with, what felt comfortable. Well, I guess I'll start with, I don't like cooking things that I'm not 100% familiar with. My favorite thing is always comfort. My ethnicity, I'm, I'm very diverse. Like I have family in the West Indies, but I also have family. I have just family from all over the world. And I think that I'm always trying to do more research on who I am as a person. And then once I do research on whatever culture um, my family's, you know, involved with, that's when I start trying to teach myself how to cook that style of food. So right now we're, I'm really focused on uh, West Indian food. And my favorite style to really focus on right now is uh, food from Trinidad and Tobago. The food is so beautiful, so interesting. Caribbean culture is very laid back. The people are naturally very healthy, very active, very relaxed people. Um, and so I feel like they put more time into cooking <laughs> because of their relaxation, because of their like chill vibes. They're just like very um, meticulous about how they cook. When I was a young cook, I didn't see that. And when I was a young cook, I was very ignorant. I, I always thought like European food was more nuanced and was more deliberate and was better. And then the longer I started getting myself involved with Caribbean cooking, I started realizing how involved Caribbean cooking is, like with less ingredients, how involved you have to be to bring out the flavor of a very simple dish with five ingredients. And it's like very deliberate techniques to bring out those flavors. As a young cook, it's like five ingredients, I can do that. As I got older, I'm like, oh wait, like you're browning meat in burned sugar. Like how does it not taste burnt? And there's like these little nuanced techniques to like cooking without making mistake. If you go to the islands and you go to the supermarket, there's not a lot of meat at the market. You can't waste it. Whatever you're cooking has to be perfect versus being in America. If you mess up your steak, you can just get another one. I mean, you'll be like, oh, I'm upset. But on the islands, it's like, this has to work. Like this has to feed everyone. So the techniques are way more nuanced, way sharper. Their success rate is probably higher 
than a place that has the privilege of having everything they want and need. I would say that I'm taking my experiences of growing up in New York City and upstate New York and eating that style of food and being around it, and I'm almost taking the sensibility of a West Indian person, and I'm using the many years of European cooking techniques to kind of cook the style of food that I would call West Indian inspired food. Before I get really confident cooking a dish, I learn the history behind it. I, I did research on this dish called Doubles. Doubles, it's a really beautiful flatbread that has turmeric in it. You fry it, you, you actually, you lay it out really flat and then you fry it and then you top it with curry chickpeas and various chutney. And so for me, I was like, this is a beautiful dish. Like, and my goal is to celebrate black food. And I wanna celebrate black food with foods that are like unexpected and things that people haven't seen before. But before we get to that point, I have to teach myself and understand this dish. And so my understanding is that in the 1800s, slavery was abolished around the world. So we started introducing indentured servants from different parts of Asia and different parts of India on different islands so that they can still harvest the sugar and all the other things that they were doing, like tobacco. And that said, they were promised land um, over time. And so these people kind of really got involved with the culinary scene. And so in my mind, I'm like, this is kind of a cool story. I'm like, I'm glad I picked this. You know what I mean? And it's like having that connection to, you know, an awesome dish just makes it so it's like, okay, how do I make doubles my own? I'm in the Pacific Northwest, so that's pretty easy. So I get uh, organic garbanzo beans from Eastern Oregon, really beautiful garbanzo beans. They're really fresh, so they cook faster. We get a curry blend from uh, the West Indies, specifically from Trinidad. It's a chief's curry blend, um, and we toast it, and we, we cook our chickpeas in various spices that I would say, before we even add curry, I have my own spice blend that I add to it, and then I add herbs to it, and then I add the West Indian curry blend. But I would say I make it my own because I make the batter very wet, um, and so the, the texture is very pillowy, and I add seasonal chutney when other things are in season. So, you know, in the, in the West Indies, the chutneys are more like mango chutney, mango kachula, which is like this like crunchy mango uh, preserve. And we're, we're using like sweet pepper chutney, hot pepper chutney. We'll, we'll do whatever's in season, you know. In the winter, it'll be more West Indian, but in the summer, it'll be more Northwest. When you approach Isaiah's food cart, Yardi Eugene, you will see a sign that reads hashtag black slow food. What is slow food? Well, an essential way to think about it could be that it is the opposite of fast food. But it's so much more than this. Slow food is actually a movement that was founded in Italy in 1986 by a man named Carlo Petrini. Petrini's movement has since spread globally, making its way here to Oregon, striving to preserve traditional cuisines and encouraging sourcing of food from local ecosystems. Slow food promotes sustainable food practices by focusing on food quality rather than quantity and goes against overproduction and food waste. Isaiah is a proud practitioner of slow food in his business. But the way in which Isaiah describes slow food, it seems to surround more than just his food practices. And it is, in fact, a holistic lifestyle choice. Let's hear what he has to say on this. So I'm just going to start by saying that I'm not saying the textbook definition of slow food. I'm saying like the Isaiah interpretation of slow food. And for me, like I've had a pretty large obsession with slow food for quite a while. I think probably like right now I'm 29 and I've been obsessed with it since I was 17. Once I learned that there was this like 
movement of sustainability in so many different ways, then I started getting really intrigued by that and started to like try to dive into it and learn um, what it is. My definition of slow food is supporting local farmers and local producers in all elements around you. So like buying your eggs, knowing the person's name, knowing, you know, knowing where the chicken farm is, knowing what they're feeding it. For me right now, it's like our chicken, it's sustainable. It's from Mary's. It's a farm in California, but they have uh, farming in Washington and in small areas of Oregon as well. And they do free range birds. It's 100% humane, graded, and all these other crazy certifications. And then at a certain point, it's like giving a friend that might not be into slow food that introduction and sharing it with them. And slow food becomes this thing where your whole purpose and existence is to like celebrate the producer. It's like the opposite of fast fashion or fast food. In that way, you're kind of like celebrating yourself. You're doing things for yourself. But whenever you're thinking of slow food or anything like that, you're almost celebrating the people that are producing it, you know, because what they're doing is they're celebrating the nature and the earth, right? Like they're like planting these things. They're like regenerating the earth. Same thing with fashion, like slow food, slow fashion. It's kind of more of an appreciation towards the producer. Mm. And it's like less like about you and it's more about them in my opinion. So, and I love that. It makes me happy. I can tell it makes you happy. It's apparent in the way you talk about it. And the sentiment of having a connection to the farmers and connection to the food that you bring to others, I'm sure brings others joy who are reaping the benefits of your food. Is black food traditionally slow? I would just go ahead and say all food is traditionally slow sure. until we started industrializing. And that's when all food generally got faster. Like, I'm just going to use uh, Italian food as a good, good example. I mean, Italian people started the slow food movement. So uh, making pasta. I wonder how many people in Italy right now are still making pasta from scratch. Probably not many. Probably most of them buy already made pasta, right? And and that's not to say that already made pasta isn't slow, but it kind of isn't because it's made in a factory and it's mass produced and it's kind of just like normal to do that it's not abnormal to do that i think all food started slow at some point even more so black food because before packaged food was subsidy it wasn't a subsidy it used to be a privilege to get uh pre-packaged uh foods and i would say before it got to that point where pre-packaged foods were a subsidy and were mass produced and we had all this you know power to like reproduce and make things in large quantities black food was even more so slow because it had to be because they didn't have a choice like they had to can their own food they had to make their own food from scratch grow their own food and and have this like super sustainable slower uh way of living and then at a certain point prepared foods kept getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and you have people of color in this situation and not all cases but most cases um impoverished where it's just easier and more inexpensive to buy things that are already processed and made so i would say black food more than any food has been slow for a long time not maybe not so much anymore sure. i mean not not like not like all over the world but th but that's the case with everyone's food you know what i mean that's the case with every style of food and and it's like you'd be surprised how easy it is right now to make uh you know a ramen <laughs> you just get the ramen pack you put it in <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you, you can and you it's like five bucks you get like 50 bags of ramen you know and it's like now 
somehow Japanese food went from taking three days to two minutes in the microwave. Seriously. <laughs> so. I mean, you walk down the Trader Joe's frozen aisle and you can get something from like every different type of cuisine in the world. Yeah. Heat it up in two minutes, you're yeah. eating something, pad thai or yeah. whatever. <laughs> That's brilliant. It is. I wonder if anyone's Italian who's listening and lives in Italy, <laughs> let us know about the pasta. Yeah, they'll be like, actually, on Sundays, we yeah. make sugo. It's like, okay, bro. And just how Isaiah brings the philosophy of the slow food movement to other aspects of his life beyond just food, he makes sure to explain how the idea of being a sustainable business does extend beyond the environmental impact that your business has. Being sustainable is also about the way that you treat your community. What are some steps you've taken towards being a more sustainable business? This is going to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm going to start with saying <laughs> paying people better. When I first started in this industry, I was kind of lowballed as a brown person. I worked really hard. I didn't have a whole lot of experience, but it kind of seemed like maybe that's what it's supposed to be like. And I'm kind of in this position now where if I want to, entry level wise, I could pay people really well, but have a higher expectation and a higher bar. And so for me, I think because I was inexperienced and I got paid less, there was almost an expectation for me to do okay, but not really well. That for me, that's like the first step to sustainability is like keeping whoever is working with me happy, at least financially. Because when I'm in the zone and when I'm cooking, I get really intense because it's an obsession. I'm very neurotic about the ingredients being perfect and everything going the way I want it to. Uh, so they have to, obviously, it's like they get paid more to deal with my personality. Hazard pay. <laughs> I might cause some emotional damage, but it's all because of how much I love food. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things. And I would say the other sustainability element is um, whenever we do make more money or whenever we do have extra, I put it right back into buying produce. I'm like, oh, we have all this extra money. I'm gonna go to Fair Valley and buy like 20 lamb shoulders. And, and you know, oh, we have all this extra money. I'm gonna buy beef necks from another local farmer. Whenever there's more, it's not like the first opportunity for me is to do something for myself. It's always to like put it back into the community constantly over and over. That's another way that I try to keep it sustainable. So staff with um, my business. Also, I guess the way that my hours are set up and the way that my menu is small kind of keeps it so that we can try to be consistent, as consistent as possible. And I mean, if you think about it, if you're if your hours are broad and you're stretched out super thin, it's hard to like meet all those points. You know what I mean? If you have like this big menu and a lot of hours, then you kind of do need to rely on like a supermarket or you need to rely on a consistent source that can kind of fill all those gaps in the operation. So for me, it's very deliberate that our hours are short and our menu is small so that we can kind of focus on putting out really good product. Focusing on like just a few dishes and such, is does it help you mitigate food waste too? 100%. We don't, it's so crazy. Oh, I wish someone could like record it. We don't throw a lot of food away. We get whole birds, we break down all the birds, we take the bones, the skin, and the fat, and we make stock with it. And then once I cool the stock down, I skim all the fat and I cook with the chicken fat separately or I refortify it back into something. So it's like, there's almost like zero waste. Basically, I'll make the market side to serve with the chicken plate as we're selling it. And the cornbread or the biscuits, I'll make just enough for the day. The only waste we have is like when we make mistakes, if we burn something, um, if something's overcooked, if something's not right, 
we'll throw it away because we don't want to serve people something that's not good. But then that's like when I get intense is like when we're throwing things away. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, ah, oh, we're throwing it away. What are we doing? They're like, I, you said we have to throw it away. And I'm like, I know, but I'm just getting stressed out because we're wasting it. But anyway, yeah, we don't really have a lot of waste. Waste is accounted for. There's a percentage in a business model. There's literally like food waste is a percentage on the line, three or four percent, I'm sure. I think we're at like a tenth of a percentage of waste. We have no, but we're also a food cart. So we're, our waste is, it better be low. <laughs> I couldn't just skip by this topic, so let's get into waste in America, food waste. According to Feeding America, each year, 108 billion, with a B, pounds of food is wasted in the U.S. This is 40% of all the food in the U.S. being wasted each year. For reference, the heaviest object ever built by humankind, the Great Wall of China, weighs 116 billion pounds. So each year in the U.S. alone, enough food is thrown away to basically match the weight of the Great Wall of China. That's absurd. And in a 2014 Food Waste Reduction Alliance study, it was found that 84.3% of perfectly good unused food in American restaurants ended up being thrown away, with only 1.4% of this food being donated. This is all happening at the very same time that, according to the USDA, more than 38 million people, including 12 million children in the United States, are food insecure. Can we just sit with that for a moment? It just makes me so mad. But there is so much we can do. Okay, so what can we do? Well, I would say focus on your own personal food waste. Some really simple ways to do this can be by planning your meals when you go shopping ahead of time so you only buy ingredients that you need. Maybe ordering less at a restaurant initially. If you're still hungry, go back and order more. But you might not end up eating everything you ordered in the first place. Also, if a restaurant gets your order wrong, maybe resist your inner Karen and eat it anyways because... I'm going to guess they will just throw away your food if you complain. Unless, of course, you have allergies. Also, there are so many tips on the internet and TikTok videos and Instagram videos that explain great ways to store your food to keep their freshness longer. Use those. My favorite tip right now is keeping my lemons in water in my fridge so they last for weeks and freezing my bread. Moral of the story is you are totally in control of mitigating your own food waste. And although it is not enough to maybe offset billions of pounds of food waste that is happening, it is certainly going to make a bit of a difference because small steps can go a long way. Okay, another mini rant over. Back to the story. How do sustainability and the celebration of black food converge? I think it's 100%. I feel like you can't, I feel like you can actually, that's not true. I feel like I could celebrate black food without using the slow food. Like I could get blue crab, you know, and we don't get blue crab here and I could get catfish. And I think we don't really have catfish here. And there's other things that I can do to celebrate black food. There's so much I can do to celebrate black food and not be slow. Um, it just goes against who I am as a person and it's really hard to do like I have to mix the slow food in some way at some capacity 
you know, that's the reason why, like, my food can't really ever be authentic because I can never um, – because, for one, um, we're in the Pacific Northwest, and it's, like, black people are brand-new introduction. So it's, like, the ingredients here are just, like, there's nothing black here, really. Um, I mean, I guess corn, you know, but it's, like, it's corn – it's indigenous corn to Oregon. So um, I would say that if I wanted to celebrate black food and be authentic, the Carolinas, Florida, Georgia, Texas – they kind of grow things that make it easier to keep it slow and traditional and authentic. But I would say being in the Pacific Northwest, I have no choice but to at times make it my own because we're in a place that has no black indigenous ingredients. Now, that's an extreme. Like, I'm not saying no black indigenous ingredients. There's someone who's probably hearing this and they're like, actually, you know, but it's like, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Like, I haven't seen it yet. And I've been looking for beans. I've been looking for rice. I've been looking for a handful of things that um, they have beans, they have rice in California, but it's like, it's not black indigenous grain. You know, I have to source my black indigenous grain from people in California and from people from the Carolinas. And so for me, it's like impossible for it to be sustainable. It's almost like I have to make it my own to make it sustainable. You know, mm. for us, we break the rule with coconut milk, plantain, mango, um, and we'll use other tropical things like ackee, but for me, I have an obsession with a dish called ackee and saltfish. Ackee is a fruit that grows on a tree. It's a poisonous fruit, but when it ripens, it's 100% edible, and it's good for you, and it tastes like an egg. It's weird. Mm -hmm. And so I have a bunch of canned ackee in my house right now. Traditionally, you, you saute ackee with uh, onions, garlic, peppers, and uh, thyme. You serve it with sweet plantain and a bread called fried bake. But I'm already getting these ideas of using ackee and getting the brassicas from the market, like baby bok choy robs and broccolini and artichokes and green garlic and like sauteing that with ackee and like bringing it to life using local ingredients. Mm -hmm. Still like tropical, but Northwest. Like it's so tempting for me to um, pack up and go to the Carolinas. And then I can have this like actual black restaurant cooking for black people mm -hmm. and I can have a garden and we can have a garden project and we can have we can grow what we want sustainably like not forced I can grow peppers I can grow okra I can grow cucumber and I can make black food with that with like the black soil and like the black techniques and like be regenerative and do everything that I've always wanted to do but that said that just wouldn't work in Oregon because trying to grow okra like trying to grow avocado especially like Caribbean avocado it's really hard to grow. Caribbean avocado is so beautiful. It's so unique. They don't even call it avocado. They call it pear and it's shaped like a pear and the skin is thin and edible. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just different. And their, their avocados are like the size of our heads and the seeds are hella small. And so they're just giant and they're cheap. It's like $2. <laughs> I want to go eat a Caribbean avocado. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're dope. They won't know what you're talking about if you call it avocado, though. You'll okay, be like, pears. You'll be like, where are the pears at? And they'll be like, right over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's special that you've decided to stay here, considering it would be so easy to pack up and have that amazing space, it sounds like, that you've dreamed about. But you're really making it authentic. You're making it you. And Eugene, Oregon would probably... We do feel very lucky to like have your business. I'm sure some of our listeners who know you are like, don't leave us. Why is showcasing black food in Eugene, Oregon specifically important to you? I'm just going to start by saying no matter where I am, I will, I will try so hard to celebrate black food. Um, I think it's more important in Eugene because of the 
lack of representation. Um, I, that said, I feel like it's a little bit more challenging um, because, you know, some people are kind of like, why am I paying $14 for two pieces of chicken, you know? And, and some people are like, what are doubles curry chana bara? And I'm like, I don't know, that's it's just doubles. And then that's the description of what it is. But it's it's challenging. It has its challenges, but it's important that we do it here because we just have a lack of representation. You know, and it's important to celebrate black foods because a lot of people of color just don't know what it is. Like we everyone thinks it's fried chicken and everyone thinks it's like mac and cheese and, and all these things that um, aren't necessarily good for you that, you know, and I think that like there's this connection with black food that I have where I'm like, actually traditional black food isn't just antidepressant food. It's not just like food that hugs you like mac and cheese and mashed potatoes. It's like there's all these other beautiful things that's happening all over the world that have African diaspora. Most foods are inspired by black foods, in my opinion, most things after the industrial era, um, the industrial period that we went through. I think a lot of the foods are inspired by black foods. Um, but that's just here in America. I don't know if it's like that around the world, but I, I think it's important to celebrate black food because not only will it give people of color a different way of looking at uh, food culture, it'll also give other people a good way of looking at our food culture as well. So especially coming from a food cart, you know, <laughs> it just make it's like a message that everyone else needs to step it up. Um, I got so many awesome uh, black and brown people following me that I think want to take on entrepreneurship um, because of how I'm celebrating the style of food. So, Yeah, what is the celebration aspect that's attached to Yardy Eugene? It's doing it really well, um, or at least striving to do it really well. And I would say it's the detail and care that goes into sourcing the ingredients. Um, and then I would say that it's trying to find a way to make it good for you. So for me, like the one of the challenges was like serving fried chicken and trying to make fried chicken healthy. And I'm, I'm not, it's not like, I don't think fried chicken can ever be healthy. It's not healthy, but there is a way to create this dish that could be easier to digest and could make you feel less like shit when you're done eating it. And I think that that's always been my goal going into it. Whenever I'm creating that dish, I'm like, in the summer, we'll serve something cold, like watermelon and pickled okra. Um, and in the winter, we'll serve something warm, like, you know, like a peanut shrimp beef soup or something, you know, and or ground nut soup. And so for me, it's like trying to find ways to like create a dish that, you know, as you're eating it, it's like eating digestion simultaneously. It's not like mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, smothered greens and <laughs> rice and beans and like all this shit that's just going to like make your body struggle to process what's happening. Um, because when you eat fried chicken, your thought process is like, oh, I'm having fried chicken, so it doesn't matter. If the focus is the ingredients being sourced really well, the food being executed really well, and on top of that, there's a way that your body feels after, I think that that strikes all the points with celebrating food in general. Anyway, this is probably the end, right? <laughs> this is probably the end, but... I would love for you to let us know how people can get in contact with you if they're interested in visiting Yardi and or anything else. Yeah, so so I have a website. It's Yardi Eugene, Y-A-R-D-Y, uh, Eugene, E-U-G-E-N-E.com. That's like if you want to check out what we're doing. Um, we're five days a week. We're at Cold Fire from four to eight on Wednesdays through Saturdays. On Sundays, we do chicken and waffles and we're there from 12 to three. 
Uh, anyway, this was great. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. Yeah, this is awesome. Well, that wraps up episode two of Just Food. If you're in Eugene, run, do not walk to Yardy Eugene and get yourself some food. And if not, I'll link Yardy's website and Instagram in the show notes so you can drool over the pictures of the fried chicken and the doubles. My friends and I went to Yardy just last week and it was seriously delicious. I don't usually eat meat. Like I haven't eaten meat in actually like probably a year and a half. But since I knew exactly where it was sourced and it just smelled delicious, I had to have a bite. And mm -mm, I do not regret it. Thank you so much to Isaiah Martinez for giving us beautiful insight into what being a hashtag black slow food business owner means. If this episode taught you anything, it's to watch out for your food waste and support those local businesses, y'all. This is just one story from one business owner in a small yellow food truck in Eugene, Oregon. There is so much good happening out there for us to discover together. So thank you, audience, for listening. Once again, I'm Victoria Ginsburg, and this is Just Food. Follow and share this episode with anyone and everyone. But most importantly, go get something yummy to eat. I'll see you at episode three. Bye!